Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right. Welcome back, Cindy. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. We were just talking off air. Welcome, everybody, to Season 8. I know you're going to dispute this, Cindy, but Season 8 of the Women of Golf, and this is Episode 1, and I apologize if, uh, if I'm sounding a little fuzzy this morning. I'm having some technical issues, so I had to use a backup, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll power through, as they say. Uh, doing well, as I was just telling Cindy, I, I had uh, minor surgery last week, so I'm recuperating from that, and uh, so I'm, I'm sitting my, my fat behind down here and ready to do the show, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. How you been, Cindy? We've been off for a few weeks, and uh, actually a month and a half we've been off. So uh, let's catch up real quick. What, what have you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Teaching like a maniac in the dome. Um, thank God we've got a dome in Buffalo because we've got a foot and a half of snow outside. But um, went to actually went and did a boot camp last week in Florida. Had mm-hmm. four people kind of tested it out and it worked very well it was nice to get out of here i made my first eagle of the year on the ninth hole at the tooth at orange county national yeah i just knocked a i think it was a wedge i don't even remember a wedge like i was like where'd my ball go oh it's in the hole and um yeah we had a couple little kids there and again i think they never see me hit balls right because i'm always teaching and I think they right. were a little surprised that the old lady can still play and kick every day. So I said, uh, <laughs> your mission is to beat me. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so all is well. Everyone's healthy. I'm grateful and happy 2021. Yeah, happy 2021, everybody. And as I said, uh, we're celebrating season eight here. Uh, it's hard to believe that we've been together that long and uh, I'm grateful that Cindy has uh, put up with me uh, all this time. Uh, I know I'm not probably easy to get along. Actually, I'm pretty easy to get along with. But um, thank you, my friend, for, for doing the show for, um, for seven seasons already. I'm really, really excited. We're going to have a great show. We're going to start things off, you know, a little bit light in the new year. We always, you know, kind of ease into it because we've been off for a few weeks. And, and um, for those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, um, it's a great show. We've got a lot of great guests uh, lined up in the next little bit. And we also have a segment, which we're going to start off with this morning, uh, that we call the No BS Zone. And this is where we talk about a lot of different things. And this, this show, the first show, we're going to talk about a new you in 2021, because 
Lord only knows we need it. There's been a lot going on with the pandemic and just everything going on. So everybody needs a, a new you, if you will. And a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by a very special guest, uh, Dr. Bern Bernacki. He is the president of the Gulf Heritage Society. So we're going to talk to him a little bit later on in the show. But first up, as I mentioned, uh, Cindy, let's enter the no BS zone, and we're going to talk about a new you in 2021. So one of the first things I think um, you may or may not agree, Cindy, is I think when you come out into a new season, it's sort of an assessment. And what you want to do is, at least I believe, is you want to identify parts of your game that you feel you're going to need help. So obviously you're going to warm up, you're going to hit some balls and things like that, but you kind of know from last season what you were struggling with and what th some of the things you were working on. So I think that's a good idea to start things off as sort of with an assessment right off the, the gate with a new season and try and isolate what some of the problem areas might be going into this season and work on those. What do you think? I believe that to be the case. And if you're not sure where you were last season, try to pick a goal. Like what if I could, what if I could break a hundred or break 90 or break 80 or break par, whatever your goal threshold is. And then what I would do is say, okay, what do I shoot now? So let's say you shoot 105 when you play, and you want to be under 95, well, we got to find 10 shots. So then what I would do is I would go through your rounds, which, number one, let's try to remember your golf rounds and keep track of them and say, do I hit the ball in the fairway or do I hit it crooked off the tee? If you hit it crooked off the tee, you could find a lot of shots just by hitting it straighter off the tee. And most people mm -hmm. come in and say, well, i got to hit my driver farther. Well, I'm like, eh, maybe not. What do you shoot? Oh, I shoot 100. Well, how far do you hit it? 220 yards, let's say, which isn't very far for mm -hmm. a normal male. Um, well, if you could hit it 200 yards straight and hit a three-wood, you could probably break 100. So I think finding yep. shots, the worst you score, the easier it is to find shots. When you shoot 75, it could just be getting the ball a little bit closer to the hole so you don't three-putt twice. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, the yep. better you shoot, the harder it is to find shots. But you have to really be willing to look in the mirror. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, uh, again, identifying the areas of your game that – tend to give you the most trouble. And, and there's a lot of them. Obviously, you know, within some of these areas, there's multiple variations. For instance, you know, maybe the short game gives you trouble. Um, maybe you're a pretty decent putter, but you don't hit a lot of greens, so you're forced to chip a lot, or may, maybe some short pitch shots as an example, and you're not very good with your wedges. So what I always recommend, um, obviously for those that are working with a professional, like whether it be Cindy or someone like myself, is right from the get-go is work together to identify what the problem areas are. And that way you're, you're able to isolate specifics of what you need to work on rather than sort of just doing a lot of guesswork uh, and then trying to, you know, fumble your way along through the season. 
And that's unfortunately what a lot of folks do. And if you're not currently working with a professional, then I highly encourage you to seek one out because sometimes an outside set of eyes, uh, especially trained eyes, is going to help tremendously to, for you to, because a lot of times we don't, you know, we don't see our own issues. We understand, okay, I, I know I slice the ball or I, I know I don't, uh, you know, hit my, my irons as, as crisp as I should, but there might be other factors that we're not going to see because we can't actually physically see ourselves swing uh, unless we videotape ourselves. And even then, we're not always uh, really understanding everything that we're seeing. So this is where I strongly encourage. So, so if you're not working with a professional, I highly recommend you seek out one, one that's, um, you know, certainly – uh, that has the, the credentials, you know, talk to them about it, say, here's some of the issues I've been having with my game, and then let them help you better assess as well. And I think, I think step two, Cindy, is I think once we identify like some of the ones that you mentioned, I think once they're identified, again, working with your professional, I think you need to create a plan of attack, if you will, sort of a game plan. Maybe you can touch on a few things there, what you like to do with your students. Once you've sort of isolated some of the issues, what sort of a, a plan or, or what, uh, you know, a a step of action, if you will, do you like to take with your students? That's a great question. I don't know that people really understand how much practice or reps it takes to change a habit. Um, mm -hmm. Our son, Jamie, who's a good player, said to me on the phone yesterday, did you hear Brooks interview this weekend and I said no he said this is how much these guys believe in themselves he missed the first three or four cuts this year now a normal person who misses three or four cuts in a row is going to browbeat themselves but what mm -hmm. he said was I knew I was playing well I just wasn't scoring so sometimes you know you're doing all the right things, but it yep. just doesn't gel. Other times you have to be honest with yourself, so it's all about truth, right? Mm -hmm. Am I doing the yep. right things or am I not doing the right things? So, so what I would say to my students is, you know, how, how big a deal is this to you? What, what's the price that you will pay if you don't do anything? Right. Do you want to pay that price? Because there's three investments in getting better. Time, money, and change. Difficult mm -hmm. is change. So right. I've got a program that I'm doing with some kids. And I'm going to give you an example. I, it's $200 a month. They get to come for private lessons, group lessons. And I've got a young man who's a junior in high school who wants to play college golf who has taken lessons from me since he was five just for fun. Last year he decided, hmm. last fall, last fall, so he's in 11th grade, I think I want to play college golf. I said, okay, <laughs> you hit it like a tour player, but you've never played 18 holes in a tournament. No one knows what you shoot. And most times you're trying too hard and you hit it OB. So, yes, he went and played in a couple tournaments, U.S. Kids Golf, and shot like 86. Okay, well, nobody's going to want you doing that, right? So he's been right. doing this program, and then he says to me, well, basketball season starts. Oh, all right, are you going to play basketball? 
oh, yeah. And then volleyballs <laughs> after that. I said, oh, and what about golf? Are you going to be on the golf team? Never even been on the golf team. So clearly there's a disconnect from, you know, a D1 college golf coach would say, you really don't care about golf. Go play basketball or volleyball, right? Yeah. So sometimes yeah. you have to say, you know, is the goal and, and the mission, are you willing to make the investments is the question. Time, money, and change. And the most difficult is change. So yeah, and and uh, yeah, and really that goes into uh, you know sort of your plan of attack. If you you know if this young man is an example, we'll use your young man as an example. You know if he really wants to make that change and he really wants to improve enough to be able to play at that level, then he has to be willing to make a commitment. And you know there's nothing wrong with with you know earlier on for him to dabble in other things. But if he's made a conscious decision, which I don't really believe he has, I think he just has you know, talked himself into, hey, this sounds like it'd be cool or it might be fun or whatever, but he's not really inside of his head, I don't believe. I mean, I might be wrong. I don't know him, but to really make that commitment because if he, if he truly did want to play college golf, then he would surely at some point understand, okay, you know what? That's going to involve a commitment. I've got to make some changes to how I'm going to, handle myself moving forward and what do I need to do, um, you know, Cindy, uh, to be able to accomplish that goal? What changes do I need to make to do that? And or what commitments as well do I need to make? And it sounds like he's not there yet or maybe never will be there. Um, and again, you've raised a really interesting point because this is something I've said for a while, and I don't mean to pick on tour players, but, uh, you know, this young kid that you're, you're talking about, this junior, uh, you know, swings like a tour pro. So he's got a great game as far as the swing and so on and so forth. But there's been many tour players. Luke Donald comes to mind. A beautiful golf swing, hits the ball, you know, as pure as they can get. But when you look at his overall performance, how many tournaments has he won compared to many others out on tour um, that maybe don't have a pitcher perfect swing? Uh, again, well, it's his attitude. I've got a husband. In, in... Right. So, again, my husband played on tour for 15 years. Second purest ball striker Dave Pell's ever tested. He only won once. You know, so yep. again, your swing doesn't matter. It, you know, mm-hmm. again, and some are. You know, not everyone's made to be a superstar. So, right. And 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 you know, so my husband's really good at teaching, but he's also played in the Masters five times. So again, you know, I'm not going to sit here and browbeat people that either don't swing good or don't. I don't. I never swung good. I never hit it good. But I, I was the scraper of the year. You know, but yep. again, you've got to really want, you've got to make the commitment. And maybe he doesn't realize there are a lot of fish in the ocean oh, yeah. that want to play college <laughs> golf. And they're, yeah, and, and, yeah beyond Buffalo, sweetie. Well, and let me, so and let me add to, to that. Rude. Uh, right. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's not to be rude either, but it's just like you don't understand the situation. There's like right. lots of kids that can shoot 78 to 85. There's less mm-hmm. kids that shoot from 75 to 78. There's less kids that shoot from 72 to 75. And there's even less that shoot from 70, 68 to 72. You know, mm-hmm. so we're talking finding 15, 18 shots around. Well, yep. you don't do that while you're playing volleyball and basketball. No. 
And, you know, what I, all I was, uh, was going to, no, you're exactly right. What I was just going to quickly add was, you know, in addition to all the fish in the water, uh, you're surrounded by a lot of sharks and those sharks are hungry. <laughs> they are. You know what I'm talking Absolutely. about. They're, I mean, it's true. You know, if you look at, and again, not to, you know, bring in another sport here, but if you look at this past weekend Super Bowl, you know, the reason why Tom Brady wins seven Super Bowl titles is because he has that mindset. He knows what he needs to do. It's not just a matter of God-given talent. Yes, he's, you know, got a lot of great talent, but he also knows he has the mindset. He knows what he needs to do. He knows what his body can do, what it can't do, and he adapts accordingly, and he uses, the, you know, the, the, the raw talent that he has developed over the years uh, to manipulate what he needs to do to get the job done. And, you know, whether you like him, don't like him, whatever is irrelevant, he is somebody really to, I don't want to say admire, but to acknowledge Absolutely the fact that this is Absolutely he is. Are you kidding right. me? Right. I, mean, no, I know that, but I, I, you know, hey. As much as people yeah, this, are jealous of this guy, shut up and admire and respect him. I mean, right, this guy right. has worked his butt off. It's not just, oh, let's just drop this gift on him. No, he's invested his whole life to be this yep. goat. So, again, right. it's it, not, you know, yeah, he's done all three investments, time, money, and change. Right. So you've got to respect Right, that. exactly. You've got to respect. And Kyle, yeah, no, you know, I, I do. I, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Buffalo. you. But Most people from Buffalo can't stand him. But I'm telling you what, right. I admire him. Good for you, pal. No, I, You're amazing. I agree. I agree. He did a great job. All right, step number three. Uh, you know, we, we've got a plan. I'm a firm believer, and again, I, I believe in doing this with a pro. Um, set up a to-do list. You know, let's to in order to prepare your plan. Let's get a to-do list. You know, what do I need to do? What steps do I need to do? What do I need to do each week? If you're serious about improving your game, you know, we hear every season somebody comes up and says, "Well, I want to." You know, I wasn't playing that great last year. What can I do to play better? And they isolate very, you know, minimal things that really are not going to do anything to improve it. And then when you say, okay, well, here's what we can do, and you kind of put together a little to-do list that's like, well, I don't know if I have time. And there's, you know, the excuse, uh, the excuse train comes out, and you know, there's three or four cars attached to the engine uh, of all the different things why they can't do this, this, and this. Um, you know, and and you know, as we've said, you know, they're coming up with all their, their baggage and loading it onto into, into the cars. So I believe in setting up a to-do list with, with students, um, regardless of what level. And that's something, again, once you've isolated the issues that we talked about so far and you're ready to execute a plan, then you set up you know, what I call a to-do list, on, just like you would for anything, whether it be a shopping list, whether it be a, a list of things to do at your job, you have to do the same thing. If you're serious about making a commitment, uh, what are your thoughts here, Cindy? Yeah, you've got to, you know, how often are you going to practice? What are you going to work right. on? Sometimes you just stand there and do drills. Just do drills mm-hmm. to help change your mindset, right? It's just, right. it's it's not that hard, but it takes time. So, yeah, you got it, to make a it, list. What do it, I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of people can find the money. Um, but as you said, they, they, the change is an important one and, and the time. And you've got to make the time. Uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've had people come up to me. You know, we've talked about this before. 
you know, I, I do, as I've mentioned many times, and uh, for the benefit of new people tuning in this week, um, you know, I te- lot, teach a lot of corporate golf, and I, I don't do, you know, juniors and whatnot. Um, that's just, you know, the way I am. And I can't begin to tell you, and Cindy, I'm sure you've had many experiences as well, where these, you know, corporate guys will come up and say, well, I've got a tournament in two weeks, you know, the uh, corporate event or whatnot, and I'm really struggling in that, and they want you to, to basically, you know, fix the wheel that's just fallen off their bus. And it's just not going to happen. They're not giving you enough time necessarily to make. Now, again, there might be situations where it's very minor tweaking and you can get them by so they're not going to embarrass themselves. But if they really want to prepare, they've got to make the time. And we all get it. We understand as professionals that, you know, there are a lot of time restraints on people. I mean, things are a little bit different now because of the pandemic. But Traditionally, you know, people are busy. Some people might have one. Some people might have two jobs, uh, and it's very difficult. But if you really are passionate about something and about making those changes, then you need to make time. You need to take other things, not saying to quit your job or whatever, but, you know, other things um, that maybe aren't as important that you can say, I can take 10 minutes from here, or I can take 15 minutes from here and add it to this over here, and now I've got 30 minutes a week, um, you know, two or three times a week that I can commit to my golf game. So now you've got something to work with, and that to-do list becomes a little bit easier to implement. And it goes to step number four is once you've got all those pieces in the puzzle put together, Cindy, now it's time to execute that plan. And this is something, you know, once you've worked and, and got a formula together, because it's a process. I don't care how good the teacher is, uh, present company included, there are no Band-Aids in golf. Uh, you, it's a process. Um, you, there's no quick fix. So if you're deluding yourself to thinking that there are, then you're, somebody fed you a line of BS, and they should be ashamed of themselves because it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Um, again, going back to Tom Brady, you know, he didn't just wake up one day and suddenly become a, a Super Bowl star. Um, you know, he had to work at it, and it was a continual. He works at it today, even though he's already won six. He had to continue to work at it to get that number seven. And, again, we're not saying that you have to work like a tour player if you're just, you know, playing your local courses, you know, a couple times a week or once a week or even a couple times a month. But you do have to make a commitment. And then once you have that commitment – you have to execute it, right, Cindy? You sure do. You absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. So, again, it takes effort. And, again, you know, to me it's fun because you get to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's you, right. the club, the ball, and the course. So I just think. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, you know, going back to something you mentioned earlier, you know, if you're struggling to, to you know, you're shooting, you know, 103, 104, you know, somewhere in that range, think of how good you're going to feel if suddenly you start consistently shoot, breaking 100. Wow, I broke 100. There's my first milestone. All right. And then you, you keep continuing on that journey, and suddenly 95 is in your wheelhouse. And then next thing you know, 90. So yep. you've now dropped 15 strokes, potentially in a season, if you're willing to work at it. And step five, which I'm going to add into the mix, is something 
that I believe is extremely important. And again, I highly recommend all of these steps. I highly recommend that you work with a pro. And it's not just a matter of, well, hey, you know, the pros are out to make money and that. Of course we are. It's a living for us just like it is for your job. But the truth of the matter is we want to see you succeed. We want to see you improve and get better. Um, and, you know, if that is able to be done, um, you know, in, in a reasonable, you know, short period of time, hey, that's great. That means you're, you're committed to it. But step number five, I believe, is extremely important, just as important as any of the others, and that is to review the progress that you've made regularly. In fact, review everything with your pro, not just at the end of the season, but throughout the season, and adjust and adapt accordingly. So if you have, um, for instance, if you have um, a situation where, you know, maybe you're meeting with your pro every couple of weeks. So I would say, you know what, maybe at the end, so you're, you know, you're meeting twice a month, maybe three times a month. You don't necessarily have to review every month, maybe every second month. You guys review things. Say, okay, what have we been working on over the last couple of months? Let's review. What, what progress have we seen? Okay, this area over here, you're still struggling with. Okay, let's adapt. Let's make some changes. Let's adjust accordingly. And, you know, it, it's a constant tweaking and you have to be willing to do it. It's not a, a constant reinventing the wheel. It's a tweaking process. Um, and there may be some new drills involved. There may be a lot of other things. Um, but you've got to continually review that. It's just like in your job. You know, you're constantly assessing yourself. If you, if you want to be successful in any business, no matter what you do, you have to continually assess yourself and make adjustments accordingly. Because if you don't, then you will fail. And people that don't there do that, go. it's okay. You know, you know, it's it's okay. You are going to fail occasionally, but if you know how to do what I just talked about, then you can learn from that failure and adjust accordingly. If you don't do that, then you won't learn from that failure, and you just continue to keep failing and failing. And the next thing you know, the clubs are collecting dust in the garage. What are your thoughts, Cindy? I agree. How can you argue with that? You're right. Absolutely right. So, well, that's yeah. a great way to start off the season. <laughs> well, I feel like I just got a lecture. <laughs> like, no. oh, wow. Well, that's the point. That's the point of the show is we, we learn from one another. Hey, I, hey, I, listen, this what is, are you doing? This is, yeah, this is going to be the season, Cindy. You're going to learn from me because I learned so much over the last seven from you. So I'm going to help you this season, but just kidding. Um, I, I always am amazed at, at and, and you're right, you know, all kidding aside, you know, we try, you know, so hard to encourage our students and to help our students uh, to be able to learn um, what it is that we're going to do to help them. And we need them to reciprocate by number one, making a commitment of time, but more importantly, a commitment to change. Because if you're just going to come and keep repeating the same mistakes time and time again <laughs> and not be willing to change, uh, then it's nice, it's nice to collect that check, but it, it's not doing you any good. And it's not really doing any good for us either because then we don't feel good about ourselves because we don't feel like we're helping you fulfill your goals, your dreams, your ambitions. 
So we want you to succeed just like we want to succeed in whatever it is that we're doing. So meet us halfway. Help us out, guys. All right. We're going to bring on our guest here in just a moment. But before we do, here's a quick message about Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and uh, remember to do that. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. And Cindy, of course, is one of the great instructors in America that you will find within the pages of Golf Tips Magazine, so make sure you check it out. Uh, all right, our very special guest, Dr. Bern Bernacki, is going to join us here in just a moment. Uh, but first, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he is a community-based, self-employed family physician for 35-plus uh, years who loves the game of golf, just like we do. Uh, he plays golf in a variety of ways with hickory, steel, and even modern-era uh, shafts, excuse me, of course, uh, always with a period-appropriate ball. Um, we'll talk to him about that. And uh, he also is active in youth development and drug prevention activities, having recently completed a leadership role with First Tee in Pittsburgh. Uh, he also serves uh, currently the membership of the Golf Heritage Society as their current president. So, uh, Cindy, let's uh, welcome our very special guest this morning, Dr. Bern Bernacki. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Thank you very much for the invitation, the opportunity. You're welcome. We're, we're welcome and we're, we're, glad to, uh, we're glad to have you join us this morning. Um, so let me ask you, uh, just sort of right out of the gate, and hopefully you can hear me okay. I was having a little bit of technical difficulty this morning uh, in more ways than one, so I apologize if I'm uh, a little sparse here. But um, let's start off with the obvious, uh, Dr. Bernacki, and just maybe let the folks that maybe are not familiar with uh, the Golf Heritage Society, what it is. What's, what is the society? What's it about? Uh, and how did you become involved with it? Very good. Um, first of all, I can hear you both just fine, and I hope I'm coming across okay as well. Um, the yeah. Golf Heritage Society is an organization for all who love golf. We like to say that we are uh, interested in telling the stories and bringing the history of the game to life. Uh, we like to talk about the people, the places, and the artifacts and take that history of those uh, people, places, and artifacts, and tell the stories, bring them to life. We are 50 years old. Um, we are famous for our journal. Uh, used to be called the Bulletin in, uh, three years ago. Uh, we upgraded it, and it is now called The Golf. And we uh, retain 50 years of our archives on our website, uh, golfheritage.org. So um, I could keep going, and I'll tell you that the greatest asset of our organization is the knowledge base of our membership. So we have uh, folks who are authorities, not academic authorities, but 
people who have mm-hmm. taken the time and interest in a certain aspect of the game, say the Ryder Cup um, uh, or uh, uh, gutty balls, and have become um, uh, scholars in a sense to understand uh, a lot about them. So we in the society interact with each other, share knowledge, and we um, have uh, changed our uh, look uh, three years ago to go from a group of collectors to understand that we have much more to offer. Uh, We've become um, uh, a broader, more diverse and inclusive group, um, and we invite everyone who loves the game of golf. So there we are. Very good. Um, Let me just ask a quick follow-up question, and then, Cindy, I'm going to bounce it over to you. So, you know, Dr. Bernanke, we have, you know, you know, so many sports out there with a lot of history. And, you know, most people, when they get out and they play sports, they just play it for the fun or what have you. Um, but there are those, much like yourself, who are, are more in tune or have a vested interest in wanting to understand what's the history. So what was it about golf's history that really appealed to you that made you want to sort of get into it a little bit more and, and understand the history of the game? Great question. Great question. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm in Pittsburgh, and um, I'm getting ready to go to work, and we snowed four inches last night. And looking out, it's not a golf day. Uh, But when I get done with my office hours, uh, I will come home and play with my stuff. You know, with all the COVID, uh, there's been a challenge for us to be limited in physically getting together, not being able to be in the uh, clubhouses and, and uh, uh, dining areas of our favorite golf place so that we have to scramble a bit. And our organization has done that. Um, we, we're, we're now trying to be more electronic. I'll participate in a mm-hmm. Zoom conference tonight. Um, we've done two already talking about golf balls, of course, um, and believe mm-hmm. it or not, golf jewelry. So we're reaching out to uh, our membership by region. There's 10 of them across the U.S. We're actually international. And, you know, I I got interested in it because I started playing golf at a Muni when I was age 10, actually nine. And I had five clubs and two of them were hickory. I had no idea about the history of it. I just hit the darn things. And eventually I got an upgrade from an uncle and started to understand a little bit more about the history. Both of the course that I was playing are Shenley Park. Uh, it's a uh, 1898 municipal golf course connected to the history of the American uh, game, um, and we can talk more about that if we have time. But, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of getting involved in it, um, it, it became fun. So one more thought. I, I got actually interested in the collection end of it, uh, in an antique shop when I was looking at the ceiling um, when my wife was looking for a particular item. And I said, so what am I doing here? And she says, I don't know. Go look for some golf stuff. And 25 years ago and several thousand dollars later, uh, here we are having fun with it. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. That's great. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I know you got some questions. How many members do you have? So we're hovering around 900 at this time, um, and uh, a lot of our um, collector uh, group uh, is the core of our organization, and they're, you know, aging a bit, and uh, we opened up to the uh, younger female, those first T kids, a lot of them 
are um, student members, and they come and they use our website, and, and they look at us, and they enjoy the game. So, you know, the large number, um, we, we dipped uh, for a while, and that's why we went from the Collector Society to the Heritage Society. And now we're growing, we're building, we're welcoming those uh, groups. And, Cindy, you know this better than anybody, the, the largest growing segment is women. And they're interested in the game. They're interested in the history. Uh, and we're willing to share our collectibles and teach them all about uh, all the things that we know about. That's awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about golf jewelry, is it antique jewelry, current jewelry? Tell us more. Yes, all the above. So it's fun is the first thing. So I might be somewhere at a antique shop or a, you know, yard sale and see something that's, you know, not expensive. It's, it's golf bling. And I might pick it up for $2, $5. And I might see an item uh, that is in a glass case in a collectible shop uh, that's a little more high end. And I'll look at it and admire it and not spend the money. So, you know, not everybody collects high-end things. Some of our kids start out with uh, pencils and scorecards, and and not only kids, adults. And, you know, if you have two of something, you have a couple. When you have three, you have a small collection. So a lot of us develop our interest in, you know, these these different items. So back to jewelry, Um, day before yesterday on the weekend, I was organizing a pile of stuff, sorting out pins, from brooches to uh, 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 money um, clips uh, to necklaces and all these different things. And it was great fun. And some of them are really, you can see the, the artwork handmade, and they have to be 100 years old. And some of them are, you know, kind of bling, reproduced, and, and very inexpensive. So um, it, it's just it's just all for fun. It's awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah, Ted. Uh, I like that. So let me ask you. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the in uh, when bringing you on, you you worked with the first tee in Pittsburgh as an example. Um, tell us about some of the work that you've done with them. Obviously, um, you're introducing, I'm assuming, the youngsters to the history of the game. And talk a little bit about the role that you've played with the First Tee of Pittsburgh. Well, you, you just nailed it. I've been involved with First Tee of Pittsburgh for just about all 22 uh, years of their existence because I live across the uh, park uh, in a neighborhood, and that's the course I grew up on. So, um, you know, as a family physician, uh, we, we've all seen and felt the scourge of drugs and uh, mm-hmm. impact on families. Mm-hmm. It's a family illness. It affects everybody in the family. I can tell hours of sad stories, but it won't. Um, so mm-hmm. the name of the game, and you know, I have a public health background before medicine, so that for me, prevention, prevention is the way to go. So our organized sports and our boy and girl scouts, I have the highest level of respect for them. And the first key concept is educational. We teach young people values, healthy habits that all will be life skills for them around the game of golf. So Joe Lewis Barrow, our um, um, executive director for some 17, 18 years, 
uh, really developed that concept and personally plugged into it um, for the preventive. And then with my hobby, I invited the kids to uh, play hickory golf at the Little Muni. And I said, go play a few holes and tell me what you think. Um, before that, I did a, um, a presentation and I took uh, three chunks of gutty, one that was a chunk, one that was a press but not trim, so it looked like uh, um, um, the the planet uh, Jupiter and the Saturn with the rings, <laughs> and one that was pressed but not painted. And I threw them out in the audience, and I brought the kids up, and I said, tell me what you're looking at. And they figured it out, and uh, I had 10 minutes for the presentation, but they quit asking questions about an hour and 10 minutes later. So wow. the last question was, do you think we could play with some of this stuff? So wow. my introduction to educating the young people um, was born that day. And, you know, we have an annual tournament. We'll be in year 13 this year uh, where the young people uh, who are a little more advanced in the first tee will go out and um, in uh, threesomes usually, and they, they uh, play a game, and it's more for learning and such. I always have them fill an application so it's a little bit formal. I ask them why they want to do this, where do they hope to gain from it. And at the end, I have them clean and bundle, because, you know, uh, playing with hickory clubs, there's a certain amount of maintenance to clean them, dry them, uh, and maybe rub them with a little oil so they won't uh, rust, and then band them up just like they got them. So they understand a little bit about that. And on the back side of their application are three questions. So why did I do this? What did I learn? What was a, a favorite memory? And how could this be a better experience? So I have a collection of those responses from men and women who have been through the Naval Academy, the Army Academy, uh, and now on good trajectories in business careers. Uh, I'll mention by name one of our board members, Jillian Alexander, who's 22. She's played in the Pebble Beach um, Pro-Am, representing First Tee of Pittsburgh several years ago. Uh, she's now has family in California. She's a Pittsburgh girl, uh, but she's um, out there uh, enjoying California, developing her career. Um, and uh, she's, she's uh, a fine golfer and is working golf into uh, her uh, career path. And we talk about it from time to time. So how's that? Pretty cool. I think that, yeah, I think that's very, very cool. What's, you know, what's really interesting is the reaction I'm sure that you get because for, for, especially from some of these young kids, because, you know, they're, they're obviously much younger than, than, than we are. So their exposure, if any, to golf is what they currently see, the current equipment, the current balls. So what's their initial reaction when you, you know, pull some of this, memorabilia out and say, okay, well, this is, and you start explaining to, you know, this is how they played golf in, you know, 19, you know, 12 or whatever the case is. What's their initial reaction? Are they kind of shocked? Are they kind of like, what? Are you kidding me? Or, you know, what's, what's some of their reactions to it? Well, I don't have my booklet in front of me, um, but I can paraphrase a couple of classic sure. response. So there was one gal, she was 11 and she had uh, pigtails in her glasses and her big sister was one of our better senior players. And uh, she went out with a couple of uh, youngsters her own age. 
and um, uh, she went out and she came in and it was about 90 degrees when she came in and she was perspiring and her hair was messed up and her glasses were crooked. And I said, oh my God, what did I do to this poor little girl? And so she came in and we gave her a cool drink and a, and a washcloth and she freshened up and then she bundled her clubs and then she sat down and just kind of shared with me a wonderful experience. And uh, she flipped it over and wrote for a while. And um, without looking at it, I just said, well, what do you think? And first thing she said is, well, at first it was hard, and then it was fun, and then it was a challenge, and then I learned how these clubs are different than my clubs, and I think I want to learn a lot more about these things. So we always show them the clubs that they played with and talk to them about where they were made, by whom, and when. The clique marks indicate the maker. And from that, you can look up the period and the location. So was it made in the U.S.? Was it made in Scotland or England? And the kids mm-hmm. just go uh, uh, nuts uh, with uh, following up on the clubs they played with. It's, it's really great fun. We invite our young people to play in national events. Um, several of our youngsters have been interns, run the National Hickory Championship and the Foxburg uh, Hickory Championship, which are in uh, Oakhurst, uh, West Virginia, and Foxburg, Pennsylvania, respectively. And they love it. They love it. That's fantastic. Um, And you also, in addition to working with First Tee, you've done some work as well with veterans organizations. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. So our organization, um, you know, our board uh, has 10 regions, and each has a regional director and uh, five at-large members plus officers. So there's a there's a scat of us, and a lot of us have a variety of interests and connections, and that's a good thing. And we bring all that to the to the board for the betterment of our society. And a couple of our folks have had um, uh, more personal experience with the veterans than I have, but uh, very very uh, strong um, uh, commitment and relationships. And we're now talking about more formal relationships with different groups. Um, senior groups for shut-ins, veteran groups of both the well veterans and the previously injured veterans to try to reach out and share the game, particularly now that everybody's using the technologies and the Zoom visits and and these kind of uh, opportunities. Come see our web, golfheritage.org, connect, link, uh, and start to – learn more about the game when you're not able to play it. Very good. Um, You know, I think anytime, you know, especially in in what's going on right now, any way that we can, you know, use technology to help, you know, uh, share that knowledge, uh, I think is so beneficial. And particularly to the youth, you know, one thing that we've, uh, you know, Cindy and I have discovered, we have had the the pleasure of interviewing a number of young ladies that are sort of up and coming through the LPJ ranks. And it's amazing um, how many of them, uh, and, and you don't certainly expect them to know everything, but have very little understanding of the history of the game itself. They might know a few, you know, past players, you know, like a Nancy Lopez or, a, uh, you know, some of the more uh, um, Annika Sorenstam or something. They might have, that's the extent of their history. But other than that, they really don't know that much about the history of the game. And it's really a shame sure. because there is a lot of, you know, there is a lot of stuff. So I applaud you, you know, kudos for, for really sharing that, uh, you know, through the society with so many youngsters, particularly, and, you know, veterans, of course, as well, 
um, to let people well, understand you. where this that, game started. And, yeah, I think that's great. It's very true. Uh, um, I, I commend uh, you for uh, bringing on the younger players and uh, and helping them uh, understand the depth of the history. Um, uh, I'd like to throw in that uh, we're blessed uh, in First Tee of Pittsburgh uh, because one of our neighbors is Carol Sample Thompson. And uh, for your listening uh, audience who, who are uh, particularly interested in the, in the females and the female golfers, I'd like to name a couple. Uh, Carol is the most uh, recognized USGA winner uh, of seven national championships. That's more than anybody ever. And Carol uh, has done work with us in First Tee. You would never know uh, who she is by how she interacts with the youngest of the young. That's her forte. That's who she likes to gravitate to. Um, her uh, dad was president of the USGA 74-75. Carol has participated in 13 Curtis Cups and uh, a bunch of Solheim Cups. And at the age of 53, she sunk a 27-foot birdie to keep the cup for the USA in 2002 at the age of 53. Hmm. So, you know, wow. we are sort of... I know who she is. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you do. <laughs> How about Renee Powell? Yeah. Yep. So, Renee Powell, I've gotten to know um, through the responsibilities uh, and opportunities of representing um, the Golf Heritage Society. And when I first heard Renee's story, I needed to go to Clearview, Ohio. It's an hour and a half uh, from where I live, and it's about 30 minutes from where I did my internship. But I never knew about it. So uh, Renee's dad, Bill Powell, uh, was a good golfer in high school, went to the service, uh, played golf uh, in Europe, and then when he came home after the war, because of his color, he could not get on a golf course, unfortunately. So Mr. Powell, being the man that he was, built his own. So he arranged to acquire property, design, and build on and operate the course. And his young daughter, who picked up the game at three, went on to be the second LPGA woman of color to play the game. And I'm pleased and proud that our organization this spring will support and join Renee at Clearview to do an event to kick off a fundraising uh, for her foundation uh, to establish a permanent museum for the Powell era, we're calling it. Mm -hmm. Lots of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we've had Renee. We've actually had Renee on our show uh, a few times, and yeah, she definitely is a a, a wonderful, um, you know, I would say ambassador of the game, and has shared her story, uh, you know, a number of times uh, about her her father and and his journey as well, and definitely a great asset to to the game. So we've we've been very blessed to have her on our show yes, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, uh, City, uh, can do you I have throw any, out uh, one more? Any, yeah, sure. By all means, go ahead. Yeah, I do. I have a, a one more name that, that I learned last week. Uh, one of our board members, Connor Lewis, uh, who's from Iowa, now lives in Florida. And um, he's a historian. His wife said, you know, you need to do something. You're kind of twitchy. 
And um, he took up golf. He got interested in the history. And his buddy said, dude, you're not supposed to talk so much on the golf course. Why don't you form a society for, for all the people that are interested in history, all 120 of you? And he did. And his <laughs> Facebook page has just crossed 20,000. So if wow. you'd like to learn history of the game, Connor Lewis has started the Society of Golf Historians. He does a podcast. And I did episode 39, telling about the GHS, kind of like we're doing now. And we had fun. Mm -hmm. He did one recently, episode 59, about Anne Gregory, woman of color that no one's ever heard about. That's why Connor felt compelled to tell the story. Ian Gregory was in the Chicago area, and for her husband working out of town in sales and travel, took up the game of golf at age 31, and she got good at it. She accumulated over 300 wins, not tournaments, wins, in her lengthy career. So that podcast, Honest, is a must. If you want to learn more about uh, the history of the game of golf, particularly African-American history and female history of the game of golf. How about that one? Pretty Very cool. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we couldn't interview <clears throat> him because she passed in 1990, but um, we can sure learn and read about her, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's so, you know, it, it's it's so interesting, really, to, you know, regardless of what genre you're in, whether, you know, it's golf or, or some other thing, I think it's always important for each generation as they come along to understand what took place, um, both, you know, positive and even some of the struggles in the journey of sure. that game, sport, whatever. I think it's very, very important. Um, you know, and again, I... I'm not to suggest that they have to know every intimate detail, but I think it's good to have an understanding because I think when you understand where things started and where they've come from, it's just like, you know, there were 13 original members that created the LPGA. Um, I think right. it's very important for the youngsters coming up now in the LPGA to understand the struggles that those 13 women made um, yes. to get that organization to where it is today. You know, we, we often, and I mean, no disrespect to him, but, you know, we here lately we've heard a lot of praise towards Michael Wan, which is, is well-deserved and, and doing the strides. But, you know, often people forget that it was these 13 women that made monumental strides to get it to the point where he could then take the reins. And uh, now, you know, of course, he's moving on. But, uh, and he's done a wonderful job, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't all Michael Wan. Uh, or even some of the ones before that did everything. There was many of these women who pioneered the game, like the Shirley Sporks and the Marilyn Smiths and the Babes, uh, you know, Taharias and, and many others that uh, that started, you know. And I think it's important for these young ladies to, to understand that. Cindy, any final thoughts or, or uh, questions for, for Dr. Bernanke before we let him go? No, but thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Well, absolutely. If I come back, you'll call me Dr. Byrne, okay? It's a, it's a more okay. comfortable <laughs> term. I really, really yeah. appreciate the opportunity to be with you and your audience, and I'll invite uh, uh, your audience to join us. Look at golfheritage.org, and thank you again so much. No thank problem. You. And just on a quick, yeah, just on a quick note, Dr. Byrne uh, will be joining me this Thursday 
on my other podcast, Golf Talk Live, uh, which will be from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern uh, here on the same network. Um, so you want to make sure we'll get into a little bit more detail on some of the topics we brushed on this morning. But um, Dr. Byrne, thank you very much for joining Cindy and I uh, this morning on the Women of Golf. We appreciate it. And uh, keep up the great work and, and keep spreading uh, the history of this great game. My pleasure and my privilege. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. Thanks. Right. Have a great have day. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That's the Golf uh, Heritage Society, golfheritage.org. Is, again, the website if you want to learn more about uh, what we were talking about this morning. Uh, very interesting, isn't it, Cindy? You know, when you, when you put things in perspective, again, uh, obviously a lot of things I didn't know, and, and I'm sure there's much, much more that I didn't know. Um, but it is very, very interesting to understand. And I, I really like the fact um, that so many of these youngsters, um, you know, with, with all the technology out there and they're all kind of wrapped up into it, that there are a lot of youngsters that are actually taking a vested interest in wanting to know, um, like the young lady that he gave the example of, um, wanting to know a little bit more about the history of this game. Um, you know, they're playing in, yeah. in current modern time. You know what I'm saying? That, that's really, that's astounding because it's, it's almost unheard of really, um, you know, in so many ways that, uh, you know, everybody again is sort of wrapped up in technology and it's all about, the, you know, social media or it's all about their iPhones or what have you. Um, it's nice for them to, as the old saying goes, to stop and smell the roses a little bit. And uh, by learning a little bit about where, things started, uh, especially, you know, for our game. So I think that's great. Well, I think we had a good first show to start our new uh, season. Uh, as always, Cindy, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and I look forward to uh, next week. And as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Byrne will join me this Thursday uh, from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern on uh, the same network uh, on my other show, Golf Talk Live. So I hope you'll tune in. We'll uh, expand a little bit more, as I mentioned, with that. But uh, uh, any any closing comments, Cindy, or or should we just let it go? I think we should just let it go. Looking forward to 2021. Right. Let's. That's right. All right. On behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. Thank you for joining us this week on the Women of Golf. God bless everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.